Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It is so weird to try to discipline somebody who is like a lot bigger than you are. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I still don't have any idea what my kids do during the day. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I want this boy to like me. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. What we're learning from Amy, apps and snacks are the Apps key. and snacks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 33 of the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. This is Amy. And this week we're talking about what is up with teenagers. Brace yourself, people. <laughs> Brace yourself. We're, this... We've come to it. We avoided it as long as we could. We talked about eating. We talked about sleeping. We talked about screens. We were like anything but teenagers. But here we are. We're talking about teenagers. Teenagers who only eat, sleep, and go on their screens. That's, That's true. all they That's do. Exactly. So we, 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 we prepared ourselves well. I will say this very well fits our test, our fortune cookie test, which is our topic, If You Must. Teenagers, <laughs> if you must. This is the problem. I'm here to tell you that your babies and your toddlers. Right, you think you got problems now? They'll be taller than you. It's it is so weird to try to discipline somebody, even gently, who is like a lot bigger than you are. It's a weird moment when you're like, now you, hey, 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 you get back here, and and then and they and turn around. Like, I'm a giant. Why should I listen <laughs> right. to you? I'm a and monster. Then, it's this moment where they look at you like, and, you're, and then you're also like, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know why you have to listen to me anymore. I'm not yeah, sure Yeah, my, my little baby nephew is now six foot six. And I just look at him talking to his mother and it just always strikes me like he was a baby. <laughs> like, it, it's just a sight gag. Like, and she's not a small person. She's five seven probably, but he's just towers over it's, her. It's a weird thing, and I yeah, I feel like they're all they're all giants these days. I, I just took my almost fifteen year old to the foot doctor and found out that he um, he had he had a repetitive stress injury in his foot that we figured out it's from him skateboarding to school every day and back. So he's not doing that right now. Right. It but, seemed like a good idea at the time. But the real takeaway from the uh, the podiatrist appointment was that the um, growth plates in his feet are still open. And even this doctor was like, whoa. Like <laughs> he's, I think he wears a 10 and a half shoe right now. And he said his his growth plates are still open in his feet, which means he, his feet are still going to grow. And your, I guess your feet stop growing before before the rest of you. 
So oh really by now you would expect that a kid as tall as him would have closed How tall is growth he? plates. He's six feet. Um, that he would have closed growth plates in his feet. No, he's because still those going. close first. So it's like his like his feet are gonna grow and then the rest of them is gonna grow. Like this this kid's got a couple years of runway. So Well, he, we he just delighted. my parallel story is we just went uh, my husband's aunt has a horse farm in Texas and we went and visited a year ago. And she had this puppy. And as we've already discussed on the Pets episode, I am not an animal person. And yet I fell in love with this puppy. And I was like, I have to have this puppy. It's, I, I don't even love dogs, but this dog was for me. It was a love affair, Jackson. And we started making arrangements. I mean, the aunt was going to drive this dog up to New York. We had it all set. Yeah. <gasps> And I just realized, oh, we travel so much. It's just not practical. But we were about to do it. Uh, commit to this adorable, like, little fluff ball of a puppy. I just went back and visited the ranch. And that puppy is now a 135-pound dog. Oh the size God. of a small pony. And I just, it was like my life flashed before my eyes. It was Beethoven. I mean, again, old luck, <laughs> dating myself. But do you remember the movie? It's like that they have the giant St. Bernard. It was bigger than that dog. It's a half Australian Shepherd, half Grand Pyrenees. I just try to imagine my life. It's the kind of dog where you're sitting down and it walks up to you and it licks you straight on the forehead. Like it's a gigantic animal. I would have used the uh, the reference of Clifford, the big red dog. Yes, oh my gosh. it's Clifford, the big red dog too. Yeah, we're, my, my dog's growling. Did you hear her growling just now no. behind us? I think she it's all the like reference. Discussing other animals. Big dogs. She's like, I hope there's not any big dogs coming in here that they're talking about. Yeah. But that's what I keep thinking about with my kids. Like that, I've basically replicated that experience. I had adorable little babies and soon they are going to turn into giant monsters out of my control. The thing is, my oldest is nine. I do not have teenagers. I have nine, seven and five years old. So well, I have to cede a lot of the ground in this conversation to you and just let you paint me a picture of the horror that awaits. I'm soaking in it, right? I have a almost <laughs> Teenagers, I'm soaking in it. And I have a 13-year-old. How bad is it on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, it's not. I mean, it's it's kind of more funny than anything else. Mm. But they just like, yeah, so far I, I have good kids. So they are not like, I, I'm not like going down to the precinct or anything. Right, <laughs> so, to scoop them up. Yeah, nothing like that. But like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk through a couple of the, the issues like the... They suddenly turn into, you know, like like preteens can kind of like skip a night for a shower, right? Oh, you took a bath on Monday, so I guess we're still fine. They all of a sudden turn into, like they they wake up and they look crazy, right? They look like they've <laughs> taken a, you know, baby oil shower or something like that. Like they just, they look insane and their hair is like, you know, standing up straight, the bedhead. I mean, kids have bedhead, but teenage boys have this special kind of of bedhead where there's just so much stuff, so much sebum happening in their oh. hair overnight that oh. they they just grow up. This just just this morning, my 13 year old was like, "Look, mom, look what I can do with my hair," and he was like making it stand up, and it just would stay. Oh. And I, so then I thought to myself, "Oh shoot, like he needs to." So now my, my, my 14-year-old has gotten the message. He really needs to take a shower every morning as soon as he wakes up. Can't skip a day. And my 13-year-old is right behind him like, oh, no. Now I have to get them both in the shower in the morning. And Oof. it's hard enough already with, uh, with one kid in the bathroom. I will say that is a shocking development. Even my 9-year-old, um, this year, suddenly, we're dealing with like bad breath and body odor. Like, I can't believe it. 
Like my adorable little child who always smelled of like hope and rosebuds is just suddenly a stink bomb. Like what, how does that happen? <laughs> there are these things called, I will, I will do a shout out where they really should have sponsored this episode. There are these things called sneaker balls Ooh. and they're like little, they're, they're plastic balls that smell like those bounce dryer sheets. You could probably mm. just use dryer sheets and you can put them in their shoes and uh, yeah, I really recommend them because otherwise Can you you're... put them in their armpits. That's where the <laughs> problem is really happening right. at our. What I found is like my my nine year old loves the. Um, he's got some sensory stuff going on, so he loves his first layer of clothing to be those like lycra Under Armour type shirts. You know, sure. like he likes to have that tight fitting layer on underneath, and those things are like stink attractors. They don't breathe or something. They wick the sweat away oh, into themselves. Oh, they wick it all right. Right? Oh, they wick it. Yikes. They store it. Um, yeah. And my- truly, for the first four times it happens, I kept thinking, what is that smell? What could it possibly be? And I just would not, my, the penny would not drop. Like the, the, my brain would not calculate that that horrible funk was coming from my adorable fourth grader. Yeah, but indeed it was. It's a it's a shocker when they when they start to start to become that and 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 the and the sleep thing. I I imagine that your nine year old is still like so eager to greet the morn, up right? With is the he, sun up is, with the sun. He's like watching TV by six thirty. Oh, a. what a beautiful morning! I am telling you, you think that it will never happen, but uh, my my oldest. I mean, he used to be. We used to pray like like the daylight savings time used to be the worst thing in the world because then he'd be yes. up at 5 a.m instead of yes. 6 a.m and, and everyone's like oh i got my extra hour of sleep and you're like right you. right right so i feel you he was i mean he, he it would still be dark outside sometimes and he just was so ready to go and now he is asleep down the hall as we uh, are recording this at 9 30 in the morning i mean deeply asleep uh, he I, I i would have to i'd have to shake him I'd have to go in there four or five times to get him out of bed right now because he has no school today. Um, wow! Yeah, and he just he sleeps. I mean, he would he'll probably sleep until he'll sleep until I wake him. It's kind of up to me when he wakes up, and I mean, it's just, he has a day off, so I'm going to let him sleep because he must need it. He's growing at warp speed. His right. feet are still growing. Right. <laughs> he His sleeps body all the is time. expending a tremendous amount of energy, just growing it, just growing. So he's either asleep or in the bathroom. He loves to be. In the bathroom. Because when you have a teenage boy, here's the thing, and this is, I, I can't speak to teenage girls, but when you have a teenage boy, sort of like what what's going on in their life is a complete mystery to you. Mm. Like I think teenage girls, I am being told to prepare for a lot of fights and, and things. But and at talking. Least, yeah, but at least you have some sense of what's going on. My, my teenagers love to talk about the NBA and the NFL. That's what they want to talk about. Well, this even bore out for me with my little ones, which my five, my girl, two boys and a girl, my youngest, the girl just started kindergarten. And for the first month, I kept saying to my husband, I just think she's having a really hard time. I'm worried because she would come home every single day. Well, what happened was Stacy was in the kitchen and then Aaron came over and then Aaron told Stacy that she had to play with me. And then we went over to the rug and then the rug, uh, <laughs> Jenna said this and, and like it was a, it, again, the monologue would never stop if I didn't finally say like, okay, that's enough about school. And I'm comparing this to two boys who've come home for four years running and my entire conversation with them was... How was school? Fine. What was the best part? Recess. 
that's my entire conversation with them. And so I was so stunned by this everlasting report of the minutia of every single thing that happened between every girl at school. And my husband finally said to me, I think she's just a girl. And it clicked like, oh, that's right. I think that's right. I she's have- verbal processing every single moment of the day out loud to me, whereas the boys are just, I still don't have any idea what my kids do during the day. <laughs> and, and at one point, one of their teachers, I found out maybe two months later, had collapsed during the school day. Something had happened or she, she hit herself. Whatever happened, she tripped. She had to leave and go to the hospital during the day. I found out two months later. Yeah, like wait, like that was not worth reporting. Even that, like, right? And you would have been saving that up all day when David oh, walked in. Oh, meanwhile, my daughter is like, well, this one touched. She moved her chair over, and it touched me a tiny little bit. I mean, it, there's no detail too minute for my daughter to leave out. And meanwhile, my son's teacher is hospitalized in an emergency. I never, never hear. About I know it. they're they're useless. So I was at a <laughs> I was at a uh, a little dinner party last year with a bunch of. Um, my, you know, eighth graders' parents, like, you know, people we've been friends with for a long time. We've known each other since our kids were in nursery school. Right. And we after dinner, we were talking about the kids because, of course, we are. And then after dinner, the other two moms at the table, sorry, three moms at the table who were all parents of girls in the grade were like, okay, let's talk about the couples in eighth grade. So it's this one and this one, right? So it's like... Emily and Bobby, it's this one and this one. And of course, and they named my kid and a girl. And I was like, what? And they were like, hello. Like they, 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 for months now, and these, these mothers of girls downloaded me the full details of my, apparent, my, my son's apparently ongoing relationship with somebody that I, I had no idea about. And it was fine and innocent and completely eighth grade appropriate in a relationship that I you know, approved of. But I had to find out if about it. You would it have from, approved of if you'd known it was going on. Yeah. It wasn't like Romeo and Juliet or anything, but but I was like, he is what not only did I approve of it, I was completely into it, of course. I was like begging for scraps at this table of what what can you tell me? Please give me some insight. Yeah. Even my husband will leave parties and stuff and I'll say, Oh God, wasn't that awkward when like her ex husband came in and then we were all sitting there and it was like da 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 and he just Completely blank face. Like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, you didn't pick up on the fact that we were all so awkward for the whole time. No, no idea. This is not his gig. But if you wanted to talk about the the Jets uh, wide receivers and, you know, what, what kind of draft pick they're going to have next year, would he, would he like completely drop in and be fully invested in that conversation? I mean, yes. Not to mention, like, where this i always say because i'm a football fanner i have been in the past but a fanner you're a fanner of the footballs i'm a fanner of the footballs but as soon as he's like and you know at auburn i'm like nope i don't go back to college i don't care what happened in college like i have all these breaking points where i'm like nope you're too deep into football for me now like, I, uh, i'll talk about the last play but i'm not interested in like what draft pick is coming and how they're going to restructure the offensive line like that i'm out my, my my boys are more i think you know kids today are more interested in talking about the sport than watching it on TV. They, 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 they know the clips and they know the stats and all the fantasy football stuff. So I went to, uh, and from my, from my younger teenager, it's the NFL. And from my older teenager, it's the NBA. So they, okay. they both are versed in both, but what they really are interested in is different. So there's an app called tiny cards on the, on the phone, which I downloaded and have been using. And it's like 20 top NBA players and what teams they're on and like what they look like and who they are. And I have to use these flashcards to try to 
to stuff these people's names and teams in my head. Just so you have something to talk about. Just so I have something to talk to my to my oldest child about because he's got all day if you want to talk about the NBA. But, um, you know, the rest of it is like, mm, nothing. When I went home and asked right. him about this girl, like, so are you going out with so-and-so? Yeah, it's just it's pretty weird. I'm like, how, how long has it been going on? I don't know. I'm kind of like that's as much as I get. But if we want to talk about James Harden and is that he you're, you're off to the races. Yeah, yeah. And all all I need to do is is be able to drop. Well, the Raptors just and see and see. And I got nothing. I, I have to look in. at these. You're I have so to look cute. at these flashcards like every day. Your app to like it's so cute. I it's, love. I that. want I want this boy to like me. You're like studying up on your app. Yeah, I want that's this ninth adorable. grade boy to like me. So I'm studying. <laughs> so you're studying what he's interested in. Yes. I like it. Yeah, what my kind of- my sister-in-law used to joke all the time with her teenagers when they got in the car. We're talking about where you're going to college or who you're dating. That's what we're talking about today in the car. And they'd be like, no, you know, but it's like when she had him trapped in the car, she's like, this is what we're talking about. And then they will, you know, they, I think I, I, that the car is the perfect time. We've talked about that before, right? Like when your head is turned, when you're not making eye contact with them. Right. You're not staring them down and, and giving them the third degree. Right. And you don't seem so desperately needy for scraps of information about their lives, but and so, yeah, I, I try to be real casual about it. Yesterday, my, my son made the basketball team at his high school. And so I totally like set up like cheese and crackers and got out like a little drink for him. So then when he walked in, I would be like, how'd it go? And I did get him to sit in, sit down with me, eat some crackers, you know, and tell me, well, this kid said this and this kid did that. And I'm pretty sure I'll be this one. And, and, and I got I got about 15 minutes because I had snacks available. So I would Solid. recommend that. Nice yeah. move. Nice move. I, I like you got your apps. You got your snacks. Mm-hmm. You're really making this happen. Conversation yes. with yes. teenagers. No, it's really well. All right. So I know nothing about teenagers, but what we're learning from Amy, apps and snacks are the Apps key. and snacks. What what kind of teenager were you, Margaret? Bad. <laughs> I should have known <laughs> Really? Yes. I mean, I always laugh with my mom that like, you should have such a bad teenager as me, you know, but right, I you was kind of bad. I was exactly. I mean, it was far from scooping me up at the precinct. I was a door slamming, no studying, pink haired, weird clothes wearing teenager. Whoa. I was kind we- of the like John Hughes version of a bad teenager. Do you have photos? Please tell me you have photos that we can put on the show page. I probably do. I would have to scoop some up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was my mom's nightmare. But then when I look back, I just laugh and I'm like, that's just because her standards were very narrow. You know, I was hardly a major disaster of a teenager, but I was definitely my mom and I locked horns and we went toe to toe and every single thing I did drove her crazy and everything she did drove me crazy. Right. Four years straight. Right. And she saw everything. I mean, I think this is part of the problem. She saw everything I did. I saw everything I did as expressing myself. She saw everything I did as a direct affront to her. I saw everything she, she saw everything she did as like, being a good mom, I saw everything she did as a direct affront to me. Right. And we just, we went toe to toe for long years. Yep. And when did that wrap up? When I went to college. I'm asking for a friend because right now my <laughs> my youngest is a girl. We have the most uncomplicated, close relationship, right? Like never run out of things to talk about with, with that one. Uh, and I'm told she will, will one day betray me, and I can't believe it, but I think it's Yeah, I true. find that myself thinking a lot about that with my five-year-old, too. I mean, I, I actually think, 
and there's a lot of research on this, that teenage rebellion is a very important phase that you should not be afraid to engage in and you should definitely not try to skip. Because if you go through your teenage years being your kid's best friend, there's a possibility that this rebellion phase is going to come when they're 30. You know, mm, mm. you got to let them do it. I mean, and I think my mom was actually really wise. And, and I she said this at the time, and I didn't really understand it. But her whole thing was like, you keep the lines really tight about what's acceptable. And you understand that the kids will go outside of the lines. But if you keep moving the lines wider and wider in terms of what you expect, the kid's going to get really lost. For us, we had a very narrow window of acceptable behavior and I found it incredibly stifling. But then I found I was constantly outside of the window, constantly in trouble, constantly like the bad kid rebelling. But really where I was, was ridiculously well behaved. Right. And that's kind of a smart takeaway, I think. Yeah, because you wanted to rebel and you were rebelling, but you weren't hot wiring cars or robbing banks. You were... Or do, yeah, really. I mean, I literally didn't have a drink until I was in college. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the kind of rebel I was. It's probably Mm -hmm. not true. I probably had a beer at a party and I was like, what? But I wasn't really very rebellious at all. But but you thought you were. I thought I was. And your mother thought you were. thought I was. (laughs) And even she, as we look back on it, we could laugh about it a lot as older people about just how ridiculous the level of conflict was over what was actually going on. But I feel like it really did solve a purpose. Like it was that that weird crucible that teenagers need where they're like, I throw off all vestiges of what you have tried to make me and I become my own person. And that is a really important developmental stage for teenagers. It is. And if you don't let them do it, I think it, 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 it's very possible that it repeats in weird ways. This dovetails really nicely with the interview that we have for today. Fabulous. We're doing something special today. We're, We're doing, doing something special because I... Usually, Amy and I are both experts in terms of we have lived through what (laughs) we're talking about, depending on how loosely you're willing to define the term expert, which hopefully is extremely loosely. But since I don't have teenagers, we decided we needed to bring in some big guns today. So so we're going to interview Dr. Jess Shatkin about his new book. The new book is called Born to be Wild, Why Teens Take Risks and How We Can Help Keep Them Safe. Decoding the Adolescent Brain, ages 12 to 26. He's going to give us the answers. Like, why are they like this? They're like, I like this. It. And they're supposed to be like this. That's that's the whole point of this book, as he argues. Like, they, teens, they need are, it. teens are evolutionarily designed to be risk takers and envelope pushers. That's how, that's how they, the they, world they has made them. And so we have to help them take the right kind of risks instead of the wrong kind of risks. And then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about what we've learned. We'll be back, guys. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. 
Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Have you noticed a change at your house? Mommy, you're my favorite. Are those adorable moppets who used to hang on your every word, respond to timeouts, and occasionally express affection in your direction suddenly different? God, Mom, you're so annoying. You might have teenagers. God, Mom. Remember these days? What's the capital of New York? It's Albany. Mommy, how did you get so smart? With teenagers, they'll look a little more like this. Honey, maybe you should wear a coat. It's 27 degrees outside. Mom, duh, I'm not even cold. Moments like these. Mommy, I'm afraid this slide's really steep. Are now moments like these. Watch, Mom. I'm going to ride my bike off the side of this ravine. Wait, no! And those are only the beginning. Check out these new features. Mom, can I sit on your lap? Sure, honey. Mmm, you smell just like strawberries. Mom, where are my pants? My God, what have you been doing? You smell like an old sock. I'll never have a girlfriend. I'm going to live with you forever. I'm going to Ariana's house. I don't know when I'll be back. Stop asking me. Mom, come here. I want you to meet my friends. Can you drop me off a block early? I don't want anyone to see you. Teenagers. Good luck, moms.
You know, Margaret, what's exactly the same about little kids and big kids? What? Teenagers lose just as much stuff as their little brothers and sisters do. <laughs> that is really bad news. Yeah. That is really bad news. I was yeah. hoping that would peter off a little bit. Uh, no, and, and you spend less time with them. You're not picking them up at school anymore. So every day, the hooded sweatshirt goes to school, and it doesn't come home. And right. the basketball sneakers go to school, and they don't come home. And, and you don't have the same opportunity to be like, huh, I sent you to school in a sweatshirt, and now you're not wearing it. Let's find it before we leave. Right. Where are the gloves you had this morning? And my, my kids treat gloves and, and sweatshirts and, and things like this as sort of single-use items, like paper towels. <laughs> Disposable. Yes. There's yeah. an endless supply. Uh, I'm an organized person, as you know. I have noticed that you're very, very organized. And as my kids head out the door every morning, all of them, but especially my teenagers, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And I grab a little label that says their name on it, and I just stick it on to the sweatshirt, the water bottle, the backpack everything that they have in the hopes that maybe I'll see it again. I'm going to increase the odds from zero to like, I don't know, 70%. It has their name on it. I was going to say 0.03%, but no, you're (laughs) right. It's going to come up a little more than that because you involve other people in the mix. Other people can look at it and be like, oh, here is this person's sweatshirt. I am the Robin Hood of this stuff. Like I love to go through the lost and founds, you know, at, at my kid's school because my kid will have, you know, several blazers and pairs of sneakers in there. But to find the the thing that has somebody's name on it, I swear to you, it's like uh, the needle in the haystack. Oh, this one, I know Ryan's mom. I'm just going to hand it to her. And it feels uh, so good to give something You're back. a hero. A hero walks among us. I give back. You, I do this by using a website called Label Your Stuff. Label Two your moms stuff. started this company because they were like, hmm, my kids lose stuff all the time and we're going to create labels so they have labels that are dishwasher proof and they have labels that stay on in the washer and dryer so you can label everything they have this sibling pack that I really like you get sort of two names instead of just one and they can have footballs on them or you know ballerinas or nothing you can pick any color you want and they it's a really well designed company with great customer service because they know exactly what we're looking for so we hope you guys check them out and if you do want to shop with them use our affiliate code which is bit.ly slash fresh label that's bit.ly forward slash Fresh label. And if you use that, then they'll know that we sent you, which is nice for us and you and them. It just makes everybody happy. Everyone's happy. And now I'm going to do their tagline, Amy. Are you ready? I'm ready. Label your stuff, making lost and founds empty. Wouldn't that be nice? Today, I am so excited to be interviewing Dr. Jess Shatkin, one of the country's foremost voices in child and adolescent mental health. Dr. Shatkin is Vice Chair for Education at the Child Study Center at NYU School of Medicine. And for the past 10 years, Dr. Shatkin has been the host of About Our Kids on Sirius XM's Doctor Radio. Today, we're going to talk about his new book, Born to be Wild, Why Teens Take Risks and How We Can Help Keep Them Safe. Dr. Shatkin, thanks for talking to us. And thanks for having me, Amy. Much uh, appreciated and happy to be with you. I'm the parent of two teenage boys. I have a 13 and 14-year-old boy. So I'm just entering the sort of adolescent brain uh, era, and it's an interesting one for sure. Absolutely. No, it's it's an exciting time. There's much going on. It's changing in your kids' brains and in their social lives and with their hormones, and it's an exciting ride. You say that the adolescent brain is designed for survival, and that means it's hardwired for risk. Can you explain what that means? Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that 
we have been programmed essentially or built for risk during our adolescent years, that evolution has essentially set us up so that we will engage in far-reaching behaviors that are good for the survival of the species, but not always good for the survival of the individual. In other words, Mother Nature will sacrifice thousands to save millions. We need people who, when they are at their peak in terms of strength, response speed, immune response, temperature control, pain control, which adolescents are, and by adolescents I'm really talking 13, 14, 15 to 25, 26. During those years, we are our most healthy physically. And so we have, I think, developed a brain that is designed to engage us in seeking out novelty, new experiences, new challenges, so that we'll go out and brave the elements and find the new water source, find the new mate, find the new food source. And, you know, we will do some foolish things in that process. We are driven to take some risk because we're actually trying to perpetuate our lives and the lives of our species. It's so interesting to me because you know my my teenage boys, like most teenage boys, tend to wear shorts in the winter time. Like they're to me, they're never appropriately dressed. They never <laughs> they don't they don't eat right. They don't they, they right. stay up too late. But they but it never occurred to me that they're actually more able to do that at this age than they ever much would be more again. able. Yeah, th- I mean, ironically though, they die at rates that are three and four times how, what they what their risk was prior to adolescence and post-adolescence. So they many more of them die because what's happening is they are built to take these risks and they go ahead and do take these risks, yet they're they're highly vulnerable to the outcomes that, that occur from that. It's good for the species, but again, not so great for the individual. Not so good for their mother and, and uh, no, being up no. at night worrying about it. But, Absolutely. But you say we've misunderstood the risk in the past, that we've... Um, we've we've not understood what it is about about their risk taking and we kind of approach it the wrong way in talking to them yeah, essentially, we've been telling our kids for years that they are at risk, that the risk of uh, driving accidents from driving drunk or not wearing your seatbelt or texting while driving or the risk of pregnancy from unprotected sex or sexual transmitted infection, we've been telling them the risks are real and the risks are high. And our kids believe that the risks are real. <clears throat> they believe that the risks are much higher than they actually are. Ask a child what the risk of pregnancy from one-time unprotected intercourse is, and they'll tell you huge numbers, astronomical numbers, 90%, 80%. The real risk is quite a bit lower than that a lot lower than that, even in the single digits. But they will tell us that these risks are so high because they believe and have been listening. But no matter how much we tell them, no matter how much we admonish them that, you know, don't you know you could get into an accident while you're driving drunk, they don't engage in risk because they think they're invulnerable. And that's the the take-home point. Our kids don't believe they're invincible, but most of our programming and a lot of our parenting is geared towards trying to emphasize to them, don't you see that bad things can happen to you if you engage in this behavior? So we're attacking the issue of risk as if they think they're invincible, but in fact, they don't think they're invincible. They just are driven to take those risks anyway. They're driven to take those risks because of their neurobiology, because of their hormones, because of their peer effects that that weigh on them. And I go into all of this in the book. And then also because of how their brains are wired in terms of making decisions, that they actually really are sort of geared to get into these risky situations and often to make a risky choice. Because again, I think that's what the species needs. But the reality is that we can help them to to manage this. So yeah, there's some hardwiring, there's some neurobiology that we're not going to be able to address anytime soon. But knowing that, we can start to be more protective with our strategies. And we don't need to keep telling them that they're at risk. I mean, somewhat. You know, we need to say, look, these things are really risky. But that's not enough. There's a lot of monitoring we need to engage in. There's a lot of other practices in terms of how we teach them to think about risk that we need to start paying attention to. And there's something to the hive mind thing, right? It's it's teenagers in a group are more likely to make 
not very good decisions around risk as opposed to one kid by himself. That's right. Any, any child 16 years or so, and some kids even before then, will make really good decisions just as well as adults make decisions when they have the same information. And even about really complicated things like how to invest in your retirement or whether you should buy one car or another. I mean, kids can make really good decisions by the time they're 15, 16, 17 when they're not pressured when they're not underslept, when they're not over-caffeinated, when their peers aren't in the same room or they don't think a peer is paying attention to them. But all you got to do is say, hey, a peer is watching you from the other room as you make this decision, and all of a sudden our kids make a lot worse decisions. That study's actually in your book, right? Kids, that it was a um, simulated driving, driving game. Right. Yeah. And, and just them thinking that somebody their age might be watching made them act more, take more risks in the game than yeah. if they weren't told that. They get into many more accidents in the driving simulator. They run many more yellow lights if they believe an adolescent is watching, whereas having a, a peer of an adult watching makes no difference whatsoever. Oh, oh no. So, so my kids, my kids, like I said, 13, 14, you know, just, just entering adolescence, older one, just starting to be interested in girls. So as far as I know, they're not engaging in, in risky behaviors. Right. And, and there can be a parent, of course, sort of a, a willful, like, please don't make me have this conversation, but also this feeling on my part, and I think other parents' part, like, well, I'm not going to bring up safe drug use or, or safe sex with a 14-year-old who's not doing those things yet because then I'm just going to sort of introduce the topic as somehow acceptable behavior in any way. But, but I'm thinking of it the wrong way, right? By waiting until, by waiting until I think it's time to bring it up. Is it, is it far too late? So talking about sex, we really know does not make our kids think about having sex. What it does is it makes their it makes the kid realize that their parent is a good and solid, reliable source of information. And they can go to their parents and talk about these things. They don't have to go to the internet. They don't have to go to their friends only to learn about this stuff. And they want to know about this stuff. They are growing up. Your son's getting interested in girls. He wants to know. So it's incumbent upon us to have these conversations, to engage in monitoring, and to really be in touch with what our kids are going through and to monitor them closely. So you say that the goal as, as a parent is for us to, to help the kids develop more resilience to risk. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot of effort these days in mental health, thankfully, and finally, to, of course, treat what we identify with therapies, medicines, school changes, learning programs, and all the rest. And also, at the same time, for every child, particularly those who have struggles, but for everyone, to help learn skills that can enhance our resilience. We're all going to hit bumps in the road. That's inevitable. We're all going to have breakups. We're all going to have illnesses. We're all going to have deaths in the family. How do we manage that? And we know that there are certain things we can do to strengthen our resilience. Some of these are sort of, you know, we're born with having good verbal intelligence, being able to express yourself well, being social and interested in other people and not terribly shy or painfully shy. Those things are all enhance our resilience. And even those things we can help people with to make better. But there's other things we can do. Really learning, I mean, the two big milestones of becoming an adolescent and, and growing into an adult, the two things we're really trying to master are one is regulating our emotions. So not letting our anger, envy, jealousy, frustration, irritability get the best of us and learning how to work through that. That's one. And the second thing is developing a sense of self-efficacy or knowing that we are able to 
accomplish the goals we set for ourselves. And a lot of this happens in school and with parents and activities after school. But our big effort here is really to help our kids to manage their emotions and to feel confident. And those things we can work on through lots of different ways. We can work on them by having meaningful extracurriculars, by uh, getting them the academic support they need, by engaging in projects with our kids, by teaching them emotion regulation techniques in schools, like how to get a good night's sleep and how to manage that, like adjusting school schedules so our kids can actually get a good night's sleep, like managing the homework load so our kids can get a good night's sleep, like adjusting the school hours of the day so there's extracurricular activities in the afternoon and the kids are engaged instead of being free-range kids in the afternoon where they're left to their own devices to hang out at the mall or be at home and get into a lot of trouble without adult supervision, like teaching our kids emotion regulation techniques, how to identify their emotions, how to combat cognitive distortions, how to breathe through their emotions. There's a whole bunch of stuff I talk about in the book, but these things are all uh, evidence-based strategies for managing uh, agitated, irritable moods, anxious moments. And when we teach these things, our kids handle risks better. It's great. And there's, there is. There's so much takeaway in the book. I mean, the book is full of really fascinating research, but it's easy as a parent of a teenager to feel overwhelmed about constant availability of danger all around them. And to, and But then you don't have to put your head in the sand. There are sort of specific steps you can take. Yeah, there are very clear things you can do. And, and you know, there's a, there's a certain style of parenting that works. Of course, we have to monitor. It's become so difficult to monitor our kids because of the smartphones and the internet access. And it's instead of allowing us to check out as parents, but I'm, I'm issuing a call for parents to double down their efforts and to know what your kids are into and to be thoughtful about it and to have an active role in their lives in every way possible, and then to to teach them and to practice these skills together. It's, it's all very helpful, and I feel like I, I found this book at just the right time before things get really hairy at oh, my I'm house. glad. Glad to hear that. The book is called Born to be Wild, Why Teens Take Risks and How We Can Help Keep Them Safe. Dr. Shekin, tell us where else we can find you on the internet and on the radio. Yeah, sure. I have a website, Dr. Dr. Jess P. Shatkin, J-E-S-S-P-S-H-A-T-K-I-N. There's lots of information about where I'm talking and what I'm doing and all of that there. I'm also on Sirius XM Channel 110 Doctor Radio live on Fridays, 8 to 10 a.m. Each Friday, it's a call-in radio show. We have guests, but also take um, calls all the time and answer questions, and we're repeated throughout the week there. And I'm at the NYU Child Study Center and College in Bellevue Hospital. So that's where I'm at. Thanks so much for being with us today. I really recommend that everybody get this book. It has really opened my eyes. Thank you, Amy. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time. Okay, so we just heard Amy's interview with Dr. Shatkin, and it was a little scary, Amy. It is, <laughs> it is a little scary because... I like how you're like... Oh, you know, my kid kind of does this. And he's like, yes, a lot of teenagers die. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, okay. But he seemed to have some good advice as well. He does have some good advice. And it, yeah, it isn't. It, it, it wasn't all he, gloom and doom. It's, it isn't all gloom and doom and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, right. you know, it's, it's, gloom and, it's gloom and doom, but not even gloom and doom, but like the risk is real. So interact with them. And, and I didn't really want to hear it, but his message about, about you know you you think you need to delay the conversations about sensitive topics to not bring things up too early that that's just uh, the wrong way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, no, it seemed really smart and the idea, you know we love a biological imperative on what for shell podcast. And the idea <laughs> it's, our, it's our animating principle, yes. Yeah, it is. We love a biological imperative and the idea that the teenage biological imperative you have to really be careful of because their biological imperative is basically like, yeah, go ahead and jump off the cliff. Let's see how it goes. Well, I thought we, it, it reminded me of what you you had just said earlier about um, set set lots of you know uh, 
set lots of parameters in your home so that if, if so that the rebel because everybody's going to have one so that the rebel kid can rebel and maybe not actually be that bad if you're actually setting <laughs> setting um setting rules for them like if if the curfew is 11 and the kids come in at 11 30 and they feel like they're really like right. oh, bad to the bone bad to the bone <laughs> yeah. yeah but they're still home by 11 30 like that makes a lot of sense to me now well and i think one thing that I took away from it as well was the idea that like, I think everybody feels like, well, I don't want to talk about this too early and also not my kid. Like, well, my kid wouldn't and just make sure (laughs) you don't really know what your kid would or wouldn't do. So make sure it's part of the constant conversation and that the conversation isn't, you need to understand this is dangerous because they do understand it's dangerous. What they need to understand is how to have the skills to react correctly you know i had to keep them the heck away from other teenagers yeah exactly which is getting easier because this whole the the whole huge thing that separates teenagers today from from our own teenage experience is the ubiquity of the phone and it's not that's not all bad did you read the article in atlantic about have smartphones destroyed a generation no Okay, so everybody should read it. I'll definitely put the link up on the page. Dr. Jean, I believe it's Twenge, Twenge. I'm going to put up her Twitter link. I actually tweeted her to say, how do you pronounce your last name? And, and, and I didn't hear back from her, but this article is great. Still and this from Dr. Twenge. And you should totally, if you're into Twitter, follow her Twitter feed too, because she is very interested in sort of statistics on today's teens. But so this, so this article, the the title is a little bit sort of, you know, scare tactics as things are these days. But, but cause, cause what's interesting is that smartphones have totally changed a generation. Teen pregnancy rates are plummeting. Teen alcohol and drug use, totally dropping. Teen accidents, you know, driving accidents, plummeting because they're not engaging in any of these risky behaviors because they're on their phones. They're staying home and but I are they I, like sending pictures of their junk to each other I mean probably yeah but they're not actually interacting in <laughs> so real life but they might be inter- they might be engaging in different risky behaviors as opposed to none they're they're safer risky behaviors in that they are uh, virtual <laughs> so, right right and yeah. and and I will say I mean so I have, I have a freshman in high school so he's still pretty young but I do talk to you know the um, moms and dads of the friends and they don't they they don't go out as much as as I, I did at this age. Like we just, I couldn't wait to get out of the house on the weekends and we would, I don't know, we'd go to like a Denny's and hang around for way too long. Sometimes we'd even just drive around in somebody's car listening to the radio because we just, you know, we didn't have anywhere that exciting to go. But you had to get out of the house. Or, or you were talking, on, or you were home on the phone like pulling the cord all the way into your bedroom. How stretched out was the phone cord at your house? Uh, only locks, yeah. Right? It was like we- 30 feet long. Yeah. I talked to my boyfriend. I'd stretch the cord as far oh as I God. could. You had a boyfriend. I didn't have a boyfriend. Oh, my God. We talked on the phone for like two hours a I'll night about nothing. I'll tell you the nothing. greatest tip for teens, from my own experience, is just raise really nerdy kids. Like, I always laugh when people are like, oh, were there a lot of drugs in your high school? I'm like, not that anyone was offering me. I was home. Yeah. No, I mean, you have to be cool for people to offer you drugs. Like, nobody was offering me a beer. Uh, but I do get, I do get a little puritanical about the teenage stuff, but... Yes, it's a time of increased freedom, but I think you do your teenagers a favor by letting them enter that world a little more slowly. I mean, I feel like for a lot of girls, is this wrong to say, kind of especially, like, I 
my parents raised me with a tremendous amount of like self-confidence and they were good parents and whatever. I was not ready for the level of interactions that the fast moving teenagers in my high school were engaged in. I did not have enough of a sense of self to say like, thank you, no. You know, I just, I'm glad that I wasn't at those parties. I was kind of home playing board games with my family and I was a nerd and a loser in high school, but uh, I, that's what I'm going for with my kids. I, I yeah, I, think I just feel like keeping them out of the situation as much as possible is what's easiest. I once had a situation where I was at a party, like a cool kid party. I don't even know how I got there. <laughs> I only had a, I was probably 16. I only had a learner's permit. And some of like the cool boys were like, we need to ride home. And I said, well, I, I can't drive. I only have a learner's permit. I'm not allowed to drive. And anyway, I ended up driving them home somewhere because I just did not have... I did not have any resources to say no to cool, good-looking boys, basically. And in that situation, what happened is I drove with a learner's permit in the dark. And the whole time, I kept thinking, how am I going to explain this to my parents when they say, like, you know better than that. Why are you doing this? I hadn't been drinking or anything. But even at the time, I had some sensation of... I do not... I have not yet developed whatever that callus is to say... No, to people who I perceive to be more powerful and cool than I am. And and so I even felt that I did not want to be in those situations. I, I definitely remember being in those situations myself as a as a girl. And I do think, yeah, I mean, if we're learning anything from this cultural moment that we're in is that we pe- people that we women that we thought were powerful were accepting all kinds of crazy stuff in the workplace and in their personal. It's like, how, how are you... How did that go on, right? You're like a powerful movie star. How are you okay with that? Well, you can't say no, or you shouldn't say no, or he's he's more powerful than me. And I'm not blaming the woman, but I'm saying, yeah, we have to we have we have to teach our girls, I guess, and our boys to be more um, to stand up for themselves. I know, but I would argue that at a certain point, you can't teach a 15 year old girl to stand up for herself against. I think you just have to try to limit access to those situations. I don't know. My my mom was extremely powerful. My parents drilled all of those things into me. And still at 15, when like a 17-year-old lacrosse player is like, I need a ride home and I'm not taking no for an answer. I, I had nothing in my arsenal. Nothing. I don't know that you can teach that to a young girl who is just on that teetering balance beam like you can't teach her balance I don't know because in her world that is the most important person right that is the, the president of the company very <laughs> difficult situation when you have been raised you're like a good girl you say yes you do the right thing like all the things you've learned haven't quite transferred into but you also have agency and you can say yes and no to situations and I just feel like I come out on the side of less access to those situations is better. I think you're, I think you're probably and right. Maybe it's easy to say I haven't been in it, but we didn't have a tremendous amount of access to those situations. And we were very immature 15-year-olds to a certain degree. But I, I think, I don't know, it would have never occurred to me in a million years when my parents left to go out of town to like invite people over. We were rule followers, but... The problem with being rule followers is when you put those like good rule follower kids into the 
Lord of the Flies world of teenagers, they have they don't have a ton of coping mechanisms. It's a tough balance. The the um, the article in the Atlantic makes you know makes this sort of argument right that that physically the kids are safer. But psychologically, they're actually a lot more vulnerable than we were, because at least when you, at least in the 90s, when you come home from school and you're in your room, you're you're where the, you know, captain of the lacrosse team can't find you unless he calls your house, right? But, but, but with the phones, my, my, my teenager is in touch with all his friends, um, and, and I'm sort of like, but you need to see them. He's like, yeah, God, he feels like he's caught up with them, but he is communicating with sort of like 15 kids at a time. And, and, and I don't know how you protect them from that, but that's, that's, that's what's happening. Their entire world is happening on these screens and the bullying and the exclusion and inclusion is happening in this virtual space that unless you take the phone away from them. So, some of them are realities of the new world and you just have to kind of accept them. But I, I think teaching them not to engage is kind of where the battle starts. Like my second grader is having a problem with someone at school thinking he's weird and telling him he's weird and it makes him cry like it real like I think it's kind of funny like oh my god it's so funny that someone called you I don't know I it took me a couple days to realize that it was really upsetting him but I feel like the takeaway is like that person's opinion of you is what it is and is unchangeable and you can only control your reaction to it and like starting at this age like just trying to reinforce that thing of like, this doesn't matter that much. Even my sister had a really tough time with bullying my little sister in fifth, sixth grade, basically. And I just remember the refrain at home was always like, those people are wrong. You're fine, but you can't change what they think of you. And I think that that kind of lessening is... As long as you're really acknowledging, you don't want to skip the part and being like, that's not important. That, my first reaction was like, that's hilarious. Like that someone would call you weird. Mm-hmm. And like, it took me a day to realize, oh, he's actually really he's being hurt. affected right, by this, right. upset and hurt by it. So you don't want to shrug it off. But at the same time, uh, kind of acknowledging, like, I feel like I always had that oasis of like, I would go to school and people would make fun of me and think I was weird and think I was a loser or whatever else. But I kind of had, my home was sort of a place where it felt like, we believe that things are important that these kids don't understand yet. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh my God, here they all are. All the people who think the same things are important than I do. And it's not whether your hair is styled right or you have the right kind of jacket. It's whether you're funny and smart and whether you can talk about the same book they can talk about. And I just think you've got to hold those principles together and then have confidence that in the long run, the things that actually matter actually matter. You know, you, you hit on something that I think is also an issue an issue for teenage girls more than it was in our day, which is like the sort of in, the um, Instagram world that they live in. Right. That there's this pressure to, I mean, we wanted to look good. And of course, the way we looked, where do you see my high school picture I'm going to put up on the show page for this? <laughs> oh, I got to try to find one. amazing. And I put, I did put time into the way I looked and heaven knows I was visiting the girls' bathroom between classes to put on more eyeliner. But... There's a level of sort of perfection that is required of these girls to to always be sort of selfie ready that I think is beyond what we had. And and heaven knows, like in the 80s, I was wearing 
um, you know, enormous sweaters, right, over stirrup pants. And even the 90s, like, like we just wore like super, super baggy clothes. Did you and have the it, acid wash jeans that zipped at the bottom? Yeah, and that made you look tight. like the mom, like we all wore the mom jeans that give you big hips on purpose. And there was this sort of general notion like, yeah, you had to be skinny, but it wasn't that you had to be like have six pack abs and have, you know, false right. eyelashes on on a Tuesday. Right. I just think perfect on look Instagram. Perfect. But you can, uh, I don't know. I mean, as I talk about it, I don't have teenagers, but I do think that you can hold the line on those values and just even my my five-year-old who I, I i laugh like she goes to start singing a song and she sings it like she like bats her eyes and sings it kind of like britney spears and she's never seen she doesn't know who britney spears is like there is something funny that girls pick up from each other this very like girlish kind of presentational feminine way i do think it's just compl- really important not to see that ground and to try to hold the line of like how you look is the really the least interesting thing about you. I think um, Dr. Shackin talks in his book and I think it's, it's, you know, it's a useful tool with our kids that of course they're going to kind of approach it. Like my parents don't know anything and, and it's only right. my friends that I can trust. But when you can re- really be vulnerable, I was, I was bullied in high school too. And, uh, and unfortunately like to, to really own this, I was, I was the, uh, mean girl in junior high and then I was the completely it's ostracized on one in high school mm-hmm. yeah like I, I have been on both sides of that and I've already talked to my kids about that and particularly my daughter about about bullying and the effects of it and that it happened to me and not and not sort of and and, and not minimizing and saying and see you know everything's fine and just kind of more kind of more kind of leaning on the like and it was really horrible and there were days I didn't want to go to school and it was days the 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 sort of it all turned out fine part is obvious. Don't so but don't minimize it. it and don't lean on that part. Right, right. right. Lean on the like I, I, you know, I've been there too, and this stuff is hard. And just let them know that you see them and that you understand that. Um, but that you know there is a there is a horizon beyond the party Friday night, which is just really hard to see when you're a teenager. Right, but that the emphasis, and I think what Dr. Shatkin says about risk and like this thing of you could get pregnant if you ever have sex like they over they already over understand the risk it's a question of addressing the behavior of not being in situations i mean i really just look back and i think i'm so glad i wasn't in a ton of situations where because whenever i faced the test i failed it the pre- peer pressure test i just I didn't have that backbone when I was a kid. And and still I can be in situations where I get pressure to do things I don't want to do, but it just took a long time for that to develop in me. And I'm glad I wasn't in those situations. I would not have known how to say no. I mean, the other thing is I was geeky, overweight and ugly. Like I, I did not, I was not in a situation where boys were pressuring me to have sex, do drugs. I, but if I had been in those situations, I know that I would not have lived up to them despite all my parents' best efforts. Right. And so I just have such an instinct, which I think that Dr. Shatkin underlines, not le- maybe not letting a kid drive around in a car with four teenagers. <laughs> well, guess what? You know, per this Atlantic article, nobody's getting their driver's licenses anymore because they don't want, they don't have anywhere they want to go because they're home on their phones. But, so. but I, I'm not driving. I, yeah. And, and, and the phone drinking. is a whole separate issue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I do think that keeping them out of those situations, I don't know. I mean, and, here and, I am. And I'm thinking about my little kids who I'm like, well, I will never let them watch screens. And it's like, now they're just like watching randos on YouTube, you know, maybe it's easier to say, but, but I do think a takeaway from my own youth is like being a geek 
kid who doesn't have a lot of places to go, not the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's about being, as a parent, leaving, like having the difficult conversations. If we don't think our teenagers can handle having these difficult conversations, but we don't want to call the other mom and say, are you going to be home? Is there going to be alcohol served at this party? If we're, if we're not willing to leave our comfort zone and not be a nice girl for once, then, then we're not properly protecting our kids. Yeah. And I do think some of that protection is just saying like, I know what you want, but I just don't want you in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, I, have, I have one piece of advice that I've that I uh, have learned from my work in the field as a uh, mom of two teenage boys is that you can have conversations with them. Of course, it has to be on their terms a little bit when they feel like talking and when they really, really don't. So it's just sort of I'm always I'm always ready. And and so the other day I had a whole conversation with with my son about. Um, a team that he's on and it's not working out like he thought it would and what should he do next while he was on the bus on the way home from school was all of a sudden when he decided to start peppering me with texts about I don't know what I should do and it was it was it was uh I sort of realized like oh we're having it it's happening I'm having a really important conversation right now and it's over text and and you know just drop everything be be ready for those moments when they do reach out to you because it might be over a text now instead of in person and it might be when your back is turned making dinner or uh, driving the car um but, you know, but be ready and then just be, be prepared to drop everything and soften into those moments when they present and, and themselves. And just have those available all the time by trying to keep like family dinners on the schedule, family time on the schedule so that you're just kind of checking in all the time. I mean, we still with my little ones every day, we have dinner and everyone goes around and says their favorite part of the day. And, you know, yesterday it's my second grade. He's like, I was a horrible dad. I didn't even have a favorite part. And it comes up that he's having conflict with somebody, whatever. Building in the time where those things can possibly happen. And even if they don't happen, you can kind of check in. I mean, we had mm. dinner every night as a family when I was growing up. And it, it just gives you that feeling of like, if somebody was doing drugs, if somebody was suddenly depressed, you would have picked up on it at dinner because we had, if you were missing at dinner, you need an excuse for why you weren't there. Yeah, I hope so. So you just, you just have more have these uh, occasions for interaction and they can be very lighthearted and sometimes they don't want to talk to you and sometimes you get monosyllables, but just keep, just keep asking and just keep being Right, and you were saying earlier, like maybe the conversation is just about NBA players for an hour and you don't care about it. The point of that conversation is not to learn about the NBA. The point is to be having a conversation with your kid where you're sort of getting a sense of their, you're taking their temperature a little bit. Yeah, I'll revisit this episode in a couple of years and be like, ah, what a fool I was. Right, this is the point where I always like to say, okay, we solved it, we solved teenagers. teenagers, Mm. But I think there was a lot of good takeaways. Um, Get Amy's app and learn all the names of NBA players. That's my favorite part. Right, all the NBA players. Like you're studying the NBA so you can talk to your teenager. It's so great. Oh my gosh. And I, and I tweet, I also, um, not tweet them. I text them like stupid pictures and stuff that I see on Twitter, like jokes or whatever. Like that's, that's, you're in the mix, you're in the mix. Keep the pathway open. Yeah. So I have good news, which we have a copy of Dr. Shackin's book that we're going to give away to a lucky lucky listener. listener. His book is called Born to be Wild, Why Teens Take Risks and How We Can Help Keep Them Safe. I totally recommend it. Okay. So we have a copy of this book to give away. And what we're going to do is have a teenage picture contest on Facebook. So come over to our Facebook page, (laughs) facebook.com forward slash what fresh hellcast. And you're going to you're going to post a really gnarly uh, picture of yourself as a teenager, or it could be totally flattering. I'm sure that doesn't exist, but you could, you could do that too if you want And then we're going to give away uh, a copy of his book 
randomly. It's not even to the best. Chosen at random. Yes. Random. Because all teenagers are wonderful. Uh Uh, Also, you can always find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. Yes. And you can also find us at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com where we're going to put links to all the research and things we discussed in today's episode and uh, you know we love to hear from you as, there as well guys good luck with those teenagers thoughts and prayers <laughs> and uh, go pick up a copy of Dr. Shatkin's book it's chock full of good uh, information even though it's a little scary in the beginning Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.